for this section. Let's just all bow our heads. And if you would pray, pray for the people in the uh, section that I assigned you. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we come here this morning as a collective we. We put aside all of our individualism. We recognize that your church is about unity. Unity around the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we demonstrate our concern for one another this morning as we pray for one another. Speak to us this morning through your scriptures. It's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. In March of uh, 2013, just a few months before we launched City Church, uh, a magazine called Business Insider Magazine published the results of a Gallup well-being poll in which people in uh, this city and in cities all over the country were asked various questions related to their well-being. And as many of you know, after completing and tabulating the results of all of those responses, Evansville was ranked the eighth most miserable city in America to live in. Now, uh, for government, uh, for business and governmental leaders in this city, uh, that was undoubtedly very painful news to hear. But uh, for a church like ours uh, that was just launching, uh, honestly, it spelled opportunity. We named our church City Church because we want to be more than a church that just meets uh, in the city of Evansville. We want to be a church that is for the city of Evansville and that helps uh, this city flourish instead of live in misery. And it might surprise some of you to learn that God cares deeply about the well-being of cities uh, all over the world, uh, cities like Evansville. And it might surprise you to learn that God places a great deal of responsibility for the city's well-being on the local church, the local churches in that city. Uh, In just a a few short weeks, on January 24th, as I said a few moments ago, at 11 a.m., City Church is going to hold our first service uh, in our new building here in downtown Evansville in the heart of this city. Our vision statement reflects our belief that we have a significant responsibility for the well-being of Evansville. And I I just want to read this vision statement. Let's read it uh, together. If you know it by memory, you don't have to read it. But if you don't, go ahead and read it. Our vision, the vision of City Church, is to bring spiritual, social, and cultural renewal to the city of Evansville and beyond. Through a movement of people who are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we uh, prepare for this transition that that we're about to uh, undergo, we're in a series in which which we're asking, what makes a church powerful enough to help a city flourish? What has to happen here in this church, in City Church, in order to help Evansville flourish as a city. And the overarching theme of this series, as you can see from the bumper video a moment ago from the, from, the, uh, uh, from the programs that you got when you came in, the overarching theme is that a powerful church operates as a collective we instead of just a bunch of individual me's. In the vision statement that we just read together, there are five emphases, either explicitly or implicitly uh, stated, 
that, that we must unite ourselves as a church around if we're going to uh, change this city. The last banner around the room on both sides, the last banner says change the city. That's what we want to accomplish uh, as a church. And by change the city, we, we mean that we want to help the city flourish. We're concerned about the well-being of the city. We want to bring the gospel and all of its implications uh, to the city of Evansville. Now, last week we looked at uh, one of the key, really the engine that drives our vision statement. Uh, And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This week, I want to look at another one of the key emphases in our vision statement. And that is this issue of a commitment to the well-being of the city in which we live. Many of you have been brought up in churches, or maybe you've attended churches in the past, that taught you that Christ followers are to withdraw from the culture, to be separate from the people, to be separate from the activities of the city in which you live. But I want you to see this morning... That that is contrary to what God says about our responsibility to help the city in which we live to flourish. And I'm going to ask you this morning to turn. If you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me in it uh, to the book of Isaiah. We were in Isaiah last week. We're going to be in Isaiah this week. Kind of be in Isaiah all throughout this series. Now, I'm going to just tell you that you're going to have to put your thinking caps on this morning. Because you're going to have to think about the present and the future this morning. And we're going to go through a few different passages Uh, Two in Isaiah and a couple in other parts of the scripture. So you're going to have to put your thinking caps on. You're going to have to hang with me. You're going to have to follow, okay? You ready to do that? You ready to do that? Okay, good. Isaiah chapter 26. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. And by the way, I want to welcome those who are listening to our podcast uh, this morning. We're delighted to have uh, you join us. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 1. And I want you to be watching in this passage about the references to cities. As, we, uh, as I read this and as you read it. Okay, verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation. Its walls and ramparts. And he's talking about the future here. This is where I said you have to think about the future. And in a few minutes, we're going to be thinking about the present. Okay? And then we'll go back to the future. So you've got to really have your thinking caps on. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground. He casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down. The feet of the oppressed. The footsteps of the poor. Now here's what I want to do. I want to begin this morning with this point. You can write this down. Put it in your, uh, uh, put it in your iPad, your phone, wherever you want to put it. But, but just get this down. That the history of the world is a tale of two cities. Charles Dickens had it right. The history of the world is a tale of two cities. You probably saw, you probably noticed that Isaiah refers to two cities in these six verses. One is the strong city in verse 1, and the other is the lofty city, which he mentions in verse 5. The strong city and the lofty city. Now when Isaiah speaks about the strong city in which he he describes it this way, he he says, God makes salvation its walls and its ramparts. He is, he's looking ahead to the day way in the future uh, in which God fulfills his promise to the nation of Israel and Christ rules the world from what the Bible calls uh, the New Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem, as some of you might know, was the city that God chose to put his temple in. And it sat on the top, sat on the very top of Mount Zion. It was the highest point in Jerusalem. And everything else in the city was around this temple. It was right in the middle of the city, the highest point, right in the middle. Okay? And so it symbolized that Jerusalem was built around God around their trust in God, all of its people, all of its commerce, all of its culture, uh, all of its arts, its education, all of its social, social structures, structures were all built around the belief that Israel must trust God in order for the city to flourish, okay? In order for the people of the city to flourish. But I want you to compare now, I want you to compare what Isaiah says about the strong city trusting in God. I want you to compare that to how he describes the lofty city. Look again at verse 5. It says, he humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground. And he casts it down to the dust. Okay, we can say it this way, that the lofty city is characterized by pride. That's why it's, it's lofty, Right? It's lofty. They think highly of themselves. It's a city characterized by pride. And notice that there is, there's no reference to the people trusting in God as their salvation. And of course, what's the opposite of trusting in God for your salvation? Well, it's trusting in yourself for salvation. Okay? So this is a city that trusts in self-salvation. Salvation. Now, the first city in the Bible, the first lofty city that is recorded in the Bible, is found way back in Genesis chapter uh, 11, and it all happens at this place called Babel. Very early on, people on the earth uh, began to want to urbanize. And in fact, the people in this city wanted to build what really amounted to a skyscraper. And here was what, the Bible says, was their explicitly stated purpose. Here's what they said was their purpose in building this skyscraper. They said, we want to do this so that, here's what it is, so that we can make a name for ourselves. So that we can make a name for ourselves. Now, what does that mean? When a person says, I want to make a name for myself, what does that mean? Well, it means that it means that you want to do something to call attention to yourself. You want to do something to bring glory to yourself. It means, that you, it means that you believe that to validate yourself, to validate your existence on this planet, to validate your meaning in life, you have to do something great, accomplish something great in the eyes of other people, right? So you have to perform in some way. You have to excel. You have to be the best at something. You have to succeed at all costs. And this is called self-salvation. It's called self-salvation. People in the lofty city are saying, we want to be our own Lord and Savior. Now, here's what I want you to do for just a moment. I want you to think about living in a city like that, in a lofty city. I think the first thing that you would notice, and that maybe you already do notice, about living in a lofty city is that it's exhausting. It is exhausting. What if someone has more or does more or accomplishes more than you do? Right? How are you going to keep up? I mean, you got to keep keeping up, right? You got to keep excelling. You got to keep succeeding. You got to keep accomplishing more. 
And then how are you going to keep what you have? Because everyone else in this city is out for themselves too. And in a city in which everyone is out for themselves, you better watch your back. You better watch what you have because there's a Bernie Madoff out there somewhere who will steal from you to make a name for himself. This is also a city in which everyone is busy. And so everyone is tired. Even the kids feel the pressure to perform. You got to make straight A's, kids. You got to get into the best college. Oh, it's Saturday. You got to get up. You got a nine o'clock soccer game on the north side. And then you got an 11 o'clock basketball game in Newburgh. And then we have to travel to Indy so that your league soccer team can play tomorrow on Sunday. You've got to be the best, kids, at everything. And you got to do everything because you have to make a name for yourself and get ahead in this world. Does that sound familiar? It's exhausting. Just exhausting. And then I don't want you to notice what, verse six, uh, what else verse 6 says about the lofty city. It says it's a place of oppression and poverty. And that makes perfect sense, right? Because if you're always out for yourself and you're always exhausted, at the very least, you're not going to have time or any energy to notice anyone else's need. And at worst, at worst you're going to trample on other people to get up the ladder using any advantage you can find, including race, gender, education, lineage, or religious affiliation. You see, this, this lofty city's social order and structure is built to protect power and to protect wealth rather than to invest it and to spread it around. And so people who aren't privy to the power and the wealth, who don't have the same advantages as others, are kept out of the power and kept out of the economic structures in the city. They are stepped on, they are neglected, they are oppressed. That's what a city is like that's built around the idea that I can and I must save myself. And look, here's the thing. This isn't just some made-up city somewhere. Don't we see this in cities all across the world? Seriously, don't we see this in cities all across the world? I need to see your heads nod. That shows me that you're still with me and that you're awake. Okay? Nod your heads. We see this in cities all over the world. And nearer to home, we see it in cities across the United States, don't we? Nod your heads. And this will be harder. Even nearer to home, we see it in our own city, don't we? Nod your heads. A few less heads are nodding here. Look, you know, here's the thing. I I know that uh, you love Evansville, and that's a great thing. It really is. Someone once told me that they call uh, Evansville Heavensville instead of Evansville because they love it so much. And that's great. But would you do me a favor this morning? Would you just look at Evansville with reality for just a few moments? Is there poverty and oppression here in Evansville? Of course there is. Sure. There are parts of this city that all of us know about in which there is extreme poverty. Um, There are neighborhoods in this city in which there isn't much diversity of color, is there? Parts of this city in which women are used for nothing more than sexual objects. That's oppression. There are businesses in this city in which women don't get paid as much as their male counterparts. That's oppression. Ask a person in the city who's been to jail how hard it is after they get out of jail to get a job and to begin to dig their way out of the hole that they created for themselves. That's oppression. Is there violence here in this city? 
Sure. Uh, in fact, Sean Little, our teaching and community pastor, Merrick Korak, our student ministries pastor, both of them lost a, a good friend a few weeks ago in an act of violence here in this very city, Heavensville. <laughs> Every city in the world, including Evansville, is the lofty city that Isaiah is describing here. Every city in the world, including Evansville. We are all inhabitants of this lofty city. But I want you to notice, too, for just a moment, I want you to look back at verse 3, and I want you to notice how Isaiah characterizes the strong city and the inhabitants of the strong city who trust not in themselves for salvation and for themselves to flourish, but they trust in their Lord. It's a place, verse 3 says, of, here's how it says it, perfect peace, it says. Perfect peace. That's the opposite of exhaustion. Some of you may know this, but the Hebrew word for peace is the word that uh, some of you, as I said, have probably heard before. It's the word shalom. And you've probably heard me say before that when the Bible wants to express the magnitude of something, when it really wants to get something across and make sure you notice, it often doubles the Hebrew word. Our Bible translates this perfect peace, but really the Hebrew text reads, it's a place of shalom, shalom, twice. Shalom, shalom, which means peace, peace. The city that Isaiah is describing doesn't just experience peace. It experiences peace, peace, because its inhabitants trust in the Lord. Uh, shalom also means, besides just peace, peace, it also means uh, absolute flourishing in every area. Like, like everyone in the city and everything is flourishing. There are no haves and have-nots. Everyone is a have in this city. Nature is flourishing in this city. There are beautiful, aesthetically pleasing parks and bike paths and walkways because aesthetic beauty is recognized as important uh, to the soul. Business is flourishing in this city. Artists are flourishing in this city. Everything is flourishing in this city. Here's another way to think of shalom. It's that everything in the city is webbed and knitted together. There's a unity to this strong city that Isaiah is describing. People in nature are working hand in hand. There is interdependence, cohesion, and wholeness socially and culturally. Think about it this way. The opposite of shalom is disintegration. Therefore, in this city, there is no racism. There is no poverty. There is no violence in the streets. There is no rampant divorce. There's no drug and alcohol addiction in this city. There is no terrorism uh, in this city. This strong city is a city whose whole social order, all of its structures, are built and based around peace rather than performance. Because people in this city find their value, find their meaning, find their salvation in the Lord rather than themselves. And as a result, it is a peaceful beautiful, joyful place to live. Now, I know what you're thinking because one of the classes I took in seminary was mind reading. I know what you're thinking. Watch this. You're thinking, yeah, that's all fine and good, Jeff, but that kind of city just doesn't exist in the real world. Was I right? Go ahead, raise your hand. Go ahead, raise your hand. I was right, wasn't I? How many of you were thinking that? Oh, the rest of you are lying. You just don't want me to get a big head, but... You know that's what you're thinking. Hey, that kind of city cannot exist in the real world. 
you're kind of right, but you're kind of wrong too. Because I want you to get my second point this morning. Here it is. The church is to be a preview of the strong city to the lofty city in which it exists. So in other words, we, we're, like, we're to be a community that acts like a strong city, even though we live in a lofty city of self-salvation, okay? And in a few minutes, I'm going to show you that one day this strong city, this, like the whole city is going to be a strong city, that that's going to come. I'll show you that in a few minutes. But until then, I just want you to understand that the church is to be a preview of the strong city to the city of Evansville. So I said this a minute ago, you got to put your thinking caps on because we're thinking in the future about a strong city to come, but now we're thinking in the present about the right now. And the church is to be a preview of that strong city that's going to come. Now, to explain, I'm going to just leave this passage in Isaiah for a minute, and I'm going to go to the New Testament. You don't have to turn there. Just stay in Isaiah. Centuries after Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and in the Sermon on the Mount, he says to them, knowing that the history of the world is a tale of two cities. Okay, he knows that. He doesn't just pull what he's going to say out of, you know, out of the blue. He says this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now what's Jesus saying? He's saying to his disciples, he's saying to anyone who knows Jesus and whose life has been changed through radical grace, anyone who has begun to experience the peace, peace, the shalom, the deep peace of not needing to make a name for yourself, to have meaning and to be validated in this world. Not having to prove your, prove your worth. He's saying to you, he's saying, on the basis of that, that you don't have to prove yourself, I want you to form a city within a city. Okay? He's talking about the local church here. He's saying, I want you to create a social order within your community, within your church. Create a social order, a community of Jesus' followers in which people of different races and classes and vocations and sexes and generations can get along in a way that the people outside cannot. I want you to create a community in which you use sex differently than the people outside, money differently than the people outside, power differently than the people outside of that community. I want you to be a preview of the future strong city that is to come, I want you to be a present preview of that to the lofty city in which you live. And you see, when you think about all of that, this is why you can't come to church as an individual me. You know, you're not part of of this strong city within a city. You're not part of that. You're not part of the preview if you just come to church and go home. You're not. You can't just come as an individual me. If you, if you just come to church and maybe you get inspired and then you go home, you really aren't part of this city within a city that God is talking about here, that Jesus is talking about. The city within a city is about a collective we investing one another and, and serving uh, one another as a preview to the rest of the city of what life will be one day in that future strong city that is to come. But that's not it. It's not just that we're to be a preview within ourselves. Watch this. Here's the third point. The the third point is that the church is to work for the shalom of its city. What do I mean by shalom? Peace, 
peace, perfect peace, absolute flourishing, unity, wholeness, cohesiveness, not disintegration. We're to be working for the shalom of the city. Okay? Now let me, I'm gonna, here's, here's where I'm going to show you this. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Again, you don't have to turn. I'll put the verse up here on the screen that I want you to see. The people of Israel have been taken captive and they've, they've been deported from their home city of Jerusalem to uh, the capital city of Babylon. And I want you, want you to watch what God says to his people living in a different city than the one that they were destined to live in. Okay? I want you to watch what he says. He says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. He's, you know, he's saying, be in real estate. You know, be involved in the beauty. Build some parks and gardens and some beautiful stuff. And, and eat what they produce. Get in the marketplace of the city. Marry. Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage. So that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. And then he says, look, look at this. Also seek the peace. The, what's the word? Yeah, it's up there. That's why you know that. Also seek the shalom and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now what he's saying to them is, look, out of your biblical faith and out of your biblical practices and out of your distinctive faith in me, I want you to go into the heart of your lofty city. For them, it was the capital city of Babylon. For us, it's, it's, it's the city of Evansville. I want you to go into the heart of your self-saving, oppressive, exhausting, violent, pagan city, and I want you to make it a safe place. I want you to make it an economically prosperous place. I want you to make it a vital place, a socially just place. I want you to make it a beautiful place. I want you to work for the full shalom of the whole city. This is what God wants City Church to do. To serve this city of Evansville. To work for its shalom. I want you to listen to me about something. I want you to get this. If you you don't remember anything else that I'm saying here today, remember this. I always have something like that, don't I? If you forget everything else, that's because I think you're going to forget everything else. Here's what I want you to remember, okay? You are either here to plunder Evansville or to serve Evansville. You know, there's not like a middle ground. You're either a plunderer of Evansville, taking advantage of it, taking advantage of the people here so that you can make a nice life for yourself, or you're here to serve Evansville. If you're here to plunder, just to plunder Evansville, to build a nice life for yourself and ignore the well-being of the rest of the city, you are no different than the citizens of the lofty city. No different at all. On the other hand, if you're here to serve Evansville, you're living like a citizen of the city of God that is to come in the future. Which are you? And look, if you, if you come to the conclusion, you know what, I've been a plunderer of the city. I really haven't been a serve. I haven't served the city. Own that. Confess it. Repent. Don't sit around and wallow in a bunch of guilt over it. Own it, repent it, repent about it, and then decide, I'm going to change. I'm going to be a servant 
of this city. I'm not just going to plunder this place anymore. I'm going to serve it. Here's the last point. The strong city that Isaiah describes, it's coming. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. The strong city is coming. I want you to look back at Isaiah chapter 25 now for just a moment. Verse 6. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. On this mountain, Isaiah says, the mountain that he's describing is Mount Zion. What sits at the top of Mount Zion? The temple of the city of Jerusalem. So he's referring to the city of Jerusalem here. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare, will, notice that will, it's in the future, will prepare a feast of rich food, For all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Isaiah's looking here ahead to the very end of time, and he's describing the future capital city of the earth. The Bible calls it the New Jerusalem, which sits on the mountain that Isaiah describes, as I said a moment ago, Mount Zion, from which Christ will rule the whole earth. This is the strong city that is described in chapter 26 in its complete, ultimate, perfected form. Notice how Isaiah describes it. Verse 6, rich food for all peoples. No more poverty. No more hunger. Food for all peoples. It's a multi-ethnic city. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. What he's describing here is absolute well-being, the end of deformity, the end of mental illness, the end of disease, the end of sorrow, the end of death. This is emotional and physical and, and, and psychological shalom in this final future city. The future city, the future strong city, it's coming. It's coming. That's what we sing about when we sing joy to the world. The final future strong city, it's going to come. The Lord has spoken. It's a promise. Now the question is, how will God bring that final city about? And look, there, there are a lot of things that have to happen between Isaiah's prophecy and the coming of this final strong city that we don't have time to go into today because we're just about done. But the first and most important thing that had to happen before that strong city could come is mentioned right here in the middle of the passage. Verse 7. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. He will swallow up death forever. Now that's interesting because this word shroud is exactly what it sounds like. This was the grave clothes that you put around a dead body. And this is saying that all peoples everywhere are living under 
a shroud of death. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die, is what people would say. And therefore, the cities are places of oppression and exhaustion. But Isaiah says that God has destroyed that shroud. He has swallowed up death. How did he do it? Well, the New Testament makes it very clear that he did it by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Jesus Christ moved into our human nature? He didn't commute from the suburbs. He moved downtown, and he moved into our human nature, and he lived the perfect life that you never could have. He died the death that you should have on a Roman cross. And I want you to just listen to the gospel writer, Matthew, and I want you to, describe, I want you to listen to how he describes what happened to Jesus' body when it was taken off the cross. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 27, verse 40, uh, 59. And Joseph took the body, and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud. Jesus came under the shroud of death himself, and he paid the penalty for our sin. You know, that's what death is. It's a penalty. It's a punishment. By paying the penalty, he broke the bonds of death. He destroyed its power over us. And now you see, once you understand what Jesus did for us, once you take that deep into your soul, then it makes you want to go out and do the same for a city like Evansville. We're supposed to come to Evansville and not try to take it over, not try to plunder it, Not try to get power for us as a church, but simply to live the life of Jesus in the midst of this lofty city, which is the way of the cross. The way of the cross is my life for yours. I'll serve you. I'll serve the city of Evansville, not plunder it. It's my life for yours, not your life for mine. That's plundering. My life for yours, which is the way of service. And then you know what will happen? It's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. People will start to say, what do you believe that makes you live like this? Why is it that your marriages in this city within a city, why is it that your marriages last and ours don't? Why is it that people of multiple races and generations can live in unity in your city within a city when out here it's constant tension and racism and violence? What is it that you believe? Why is it that in your community, men treat women so well? Out here, they take advantage and they use women and they degrade them. What do you believe that makes you so different? And you see, when we get that kind of influence, let me tell you something. That's the only kind of influence that's safe to have. It's the only non-coercive kind of influence. It's the only way that we're really being the city of God within a city. That's how Jesus did it. He came to earth. He rejected power. He rejected control. He rejected coercion. And he died. He served. He died for us. And as a result, by any measure, by anybody's standards, Jesus is the most influential person in the history of the world. That's the pattern by which we are to live as citizens of this city of God within the city of Evansville. In order to live like Jesus, in order to be a part of this community, you're going to have to drop the individualistic way that you attend this church. 
the whole, you know, I come to church, get inspired, and go home, that has to stop. And you've got to become part of this collective we that is City Church. Join a City Life group. Get to know some other followers of Christ. Let them speak into your life. You speak into their life. Serve somebody here. Last week we said, uh, I, I said, you know, those of you who are under 40, uh, look, we need you to step up. We've got plenty of people over 40 and 50 that are serving in this place and that have kept this place going, frankly. We need some of you now that are under 40 to step up. We need you to be visible in your role at this church. There are tables in the hallway. I talked about them earlier. After the service, I want you to look at those tables. And I want you to sign up to to serve someplace. Be a preview of life in the strong city, in the new Jerusalem, to the city in which we live today by serving one another and serving this city. Last thing, I just want to read a quote to you. A little lengthy, I'll put it up on the screen. It comes from a theologian by the name of N.T. Wright. And he says this, Our task is image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. The gospel of Jesus points us and indeed urges us to be at the leading edge of the whole culture, articulating in story, in music, in art, in philosophy, in education, in poetry, in politics, in theology, and even, heaven help us, biblical studies. A worldview that will mount the historically rooted Christian challenge to both modernity and postmodernity, leading the way with joy and humor and gentleness and good judgment and true wisdom. And he says, I believe if we face the question, if not now, then when? If we are grasped by this vision, we may also hear the question, if not us, then who? And if the gospel of Jesus is not the key to this task, then what is? Would you bow with me in prayer? I think it's fair to say that all of us here in this room are humbled. Lord Jesus Christ, when it comes to this idea of serving the city of Evansville, serving one another, I think all of us recognize that we fall very short of that. We thank you for the cross, Lord Jesus Christ, in which we find forgiveness for our own selfishness and self-centeredness. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray too, though, that as a result of what you did on the cross, that we would take that so deep into our hearts, and through the power of the Spirit, that you would turn us in collectively, not just as individuals, but collectively into a people, a community, a city within a city that serves and changes the city of Evansville, that brings the gospel and all of its beauty to the city of Evansville, not for our glory, not for our power, not for our control, but for your glory, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would be exalted in this city. Lord, would you use us, the city church, to change the city of Evansville for your honor and for your glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.